Let's read this text in Matthew chapter 17. Um, now, real quick, uh, this story is one of those stories that's in all three of the synoptic gospels, meaning Matthew, Mark, and Luke. A, a lot of um, those writers share some of the same stories and just different details about the story. So when we look at what Matthew, Mark, and Luke say together, we get the big picture. Okay, They're speaking from perspective. Um, and we won't get into how, how each book was put together, but when we look at uh, each account, it helps us have a better, more accurate understanding of the text. This story is also in Mark chapter 9 and Luke chapter 9. Uh, we won't read every single account of this story, but we will address some specific scriptures from both Mark and Luke to give us a bigger picture and what's happening here. So if you would um, read, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 17, primarily focusing on Matthew's account because we're going through Matthew. Matthew chapter 17, picking it up in verse 14, says, and when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up and they were exceedingly sorrowful. Please pray with me. Uh, Lord, we thank you for um, this account. God, we pray that you would speak to us through it as you address you address the issue of faith. God, I pray that you would give us faith even as we go through this text and you would speak to our hearts and you would transform us from the inside out, Lord, and we would be able to learn um, from some of the mistakes uh, and successes of the disciples and everyone in this story. Lord, so please, please speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you recall... <clears throat> The last few weeks, Jesus has done some pretty cool things. He's revealed himself in some pretty cool ways. If you bring it back to when they first entered Caesarea Philippi, we remember Jesus almost put himself up against the idols of history and the temples of Baal and all these other things that were going on there in Caesarea Philippi. Strategically, he brings the disciples there to pose the most important question that we could ever ask. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that me, the Son of Man, is? Asking the disciples, who do you think Jesus is? And we discussed how that's such an important question for every single human being on this face of the earth to answer. 
for themselves. We all must come to a conclusion. Now, he just revealed himself then because Peter had this profound revelation. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven. He hit the nail right on the head. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Not only that, you are the son of God meaning that he is equal to God. In fact, Jesus was God in the flesh when we dove into that and understood what that actually means. Then after he reveals to the disciples who he is, then he tells them what he's going to do. He says, the son of man, yeah, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be rejected. He's going to be killed. He's going to be buried only to be what? Risen the third day. So he shares the gospel with them. And then he tells them, hey, this is the way. This is my way, the gospel. And you need to follow my way. He says, if you desire to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. If we want to come after Jesus, there's a self-denial and a self-sacrifice that needs to happen. And we discussed what that means. Now, after that, Picking it up to last week, Jesus, he took three disciples. Anyone remember who they were? Peter, James, and John. Good, I'm just seeing if you guys are here. I know you are. So he took Peter, James, and John, and he brought them up on this high mountain, right, for specific purposes. And one of those specific purposes was to reveal to them on an even deeper level of who he really was. It was already communicated. It was already revealed from the Father. But this time, he reveals his glory. He's in his transfigured form. And we discussed about why maybe perhaps he chose these three disciples. And we talked about how God chooses the weak and the foolish to put to shame the wise and the strong. And it's likely that these three struggled with faith and they needed a little more, a little more evidence that Jesus truly was who he said he was. Now, after they have this amazing experience on this mountain, he comes down, right? Because everything that comes up must come down. And we discussed how God gives us these mountaintop experiences to prepare us for valleys, That's what's going to happen here in this text. We have mountaintop experiences often followed by valleys. What do I mean? We have these moments of inexplicable faith that God revealed himself so clearly to us. And then later we'll struggle with doubt. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever battled with faith? Have you ever been in the moment that I believe God can literally do anything and then time passes and then you question whether he even exists or not? See, we have these battles of faith. Sometimes we'll struggle with faith, but regardless of where we're at in our faith, which season it is, maybe we have that full-fledged faith and then we have those droughts of doubt regardless of where we are. There's a truth in scripture that's revealed in this text and it's that faith leads to victory, which is the title of this teaching. Faith leads to victory. 
We're only going to experience victory in this world over sin, over the enemy, over any obstacle in our life. If we have faith in the Lord and we're walking in that faith, if we don't have the faith that the Lord's talking about, and if it's not in him, then we're going to continue to be defeated. We're going to continue to be beat up by the enemy. We're going to see Jesus because of his faith. He's victorious over this demon. Matthew chapter 17, verse 14. Remember, they came down from the mountain. And when they had come to the multitude, so there's this multitude awaiting them down at the mountain. A man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, we see this man comes to the Lord. He kneels down in an act of worship, an act of desperation, coming to Jesus, knowing that Jesus is his only hope. That Jesus is the only one that can help him overcome this specific obstacle. What's the obstacle? Verse 15. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So this son, he has this severe demonic possession that uh, is literally almost causing him to die. He's getting thrown into the water, thrown into the fire, and this demon is risking this child's life. So this man, he comes to Jesus, hey, my son, he's epileptic, he's severely demon-possessed, and I need your help. I, I, I need your help with this. Now... Any parent would probably be able to relate with this man and having desperation and hope for a child, but it gets even more specific than that. It's not just a child. It's his only child. In Luke chapter 9, verse 38, he tells Jesus, this is my only child, my only son. So the hope is even more significant. Why? We've talked about culture in that time and the relationship with a father and a son. And the son was to carry out the name of the father. He was to carry out his legacy. So not only is he concerned about his son and the well-being of his son, if his son dies and this demon throws him into the water again or the fire again and kills him, not only does his son die, but his name dies with him and his legacy dies. So there's so much around this healing. This man needs Jesus to step in so severely, not just for the son's sake, but for his sake as well. Now, we see what this demon possession uh, resulted in. It says that he was an epileptic that suffered severely. Now, when you look at uh, that word in the Greek, uh, it literally means moonstruck. It means moonstruck, which is really interesting. Um, this is what the culture at that time uh, tended to believe that if you were out late and you allowed the moon to shine on your face long enough, it would literally make you go crazy. It's like, what? Really? I don't know. The craziest people come out at nighttime, right? Maybe there's truth to it. I'm just kidding. But that's really what the word means. They're uh, rooting the cause of this going crazy, not only with demonic possession, but the moon shining on his face. Now, if we look at Mark's account, we won't have to flip there, but we get some other details about this demon possession. Uh, not only was he an epileptic that suffered severely, he was deaf, he was mute, and he was dumb. Okay, so he's suffering on many different levels because of this demon. 
Now, this is interesting. They just had this amazing experience, at least Jesus, uh, with the three. They had this amazing experience. They saw Jesus transfigured. They saw Elijah. They saw Moses. They saw God coming in the cloud and speaking. It was an amazing thing to behold. And now they come down. And as soon as they come down, they're literally faced with a spiritual battle. See, God so often reveals himself to us to give us the faith that we need to endure the battle that awaits. Which brings me to the first of five. God builds our faith to prepare us for war. God builds our faith to prepare us for war. We discussed last week about how God uses mountaintops to prepare us for valleys and we were pretty general, pretty vague with that because God will reveal to us different things and we have these scenarios where maybe he spoke to us so clearly or he answered a prayer, he did even a miracle in our life, maybe a healing happened and the Lord did this thing and then right around the corner there's this battle. There's this war. There's this thing that we need to engage in. This thing that is difficult to overcome. And if we don't have the faith, we're not going to overcome it. See, the Lord, more often than not, when he reveals himself to us in a a next to tangible way, it's not usually just for him to reveal himself to us, just so that we see the glory of God. That's part of it, but more often than not, when you look at the scriptures, we see God reveal his glory. He reveals himself and teaches those who are following him some deep lesson to prepare them for something difficult that's about to happen. Not every time, but almost every time when the Lord reveals something super deep to me or he shows up in an almost tangible way. Maybe, again, it's a prayer answered or a a miracle witnessed or a life changed. Often there's a battle right around the corner. There's spiritual warfare that awaits. See, when Elizabeth and I... um, first got together, before we got married, there was a lot of stuff that we went through, being in different countries and trying to keep the relationship together and having to trust the Lord through it. Now, through all of that testing, uh, the Lord blessed me by speaking to me and revealing things to me and changing my heart about things and changing my character. But one of the awesome things that I was able to receive from that time was clear direction from the Lord. He tested me, but he spoke to me clearly. And I knew for a fact that I was supposed to marry that woman. I knew there was, it wasn't like an option. If I didn't, I knew I was being disobedient. Not that I didn't want to. I wanted to, but the Lord really wanted me to. Okay, now the Lord spoke these things to me and he even through a series of events, specifically through the word, revealed to me even a timing, even a timeline when I was supposed to do it. And you know what happened? Well, obviously you're married, we're married, so you know the end of the story. Um, but, right before I proposed to her, I started going through it. I started going through spiritual warfare, the doubt, the questioning, the insecurities, the, oh my gosh, there's not many decisions that you make that are lifelong decisions that you can't go back from. And I'm struggling with, like, no, I know 
that I'm supposed to marry this woman. And I want to marry this woman, but I got hit with so much spiritual warfare. And it wasn't just me in doubt, like literally, like thoughts that were just from the enemy trying to prevent this thing from happening. And then when I continued and I operated in faith and love and proposed to Elizabeth, it came on even stronger. And there was these things like, man, God, why are these thoughts coming in my head? And I knew for a fact that I was going through spiritual warfare. Backtrack. God had revealed himself to me so clearly to produce the faith in me that would endure through the battle, endure through the spiritual warfare. If one thing I knew and I knew for sure was that God told me to marry her, regardless of what other thoughts came or doubt or conflict or scenarios, the Lord said and he gave me the faith to do. And that's what we see here with these disciples. He reveals himself to them in this deep, profound way because he knows what's waiting down the mountain. He knows what they're getting ready to encounter. Look at Matthew chapter 17, verse 16. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. This is interesting. We've already discussed and taught on the fact that the disciples were able to heal and cast out demons in the uh, the past. If you look at Matthew chapter 10, verse 8, they were given the power to cast out demons. This was something that had already happened, but now, for some reason, they can't. People have different debates about what this is. Maybe this was a, a, a higher up demon that was more powerful. Regardless of that, the issue is a faith thing and Jesus is going to address that. But I want to point out something specific here. This son and this man, they come to the disciples first for the disciples to cure him and they can't. They failed. They failed their mission. They failed in what they were called to do. But the Lord uses their failure. The Lord uses failure in our lives to teach us so many different things. Failure, it leads us to a place of humility. Failure, it leads us to trust in God's strength and not our own. Failure, you can probably relate. The lessons that we've learned through failure, we don't typically, we don't typically forget. <laughs> Sorry, I don't know why that wouldn't come out. Um, I forgot the forget. Uh, but no, in all sincerity, when we have these lessons of failure, we don't forget them. In failure year, it teaches us lessons that success never can. The disciples are learning through their failures. But regardless of the lessons that they're learning, they failed. They failed this man. This man that counted on them. This man that was initially relying on them. They failed him. See, we too, as followers of Jesus, can fail people. And we see throughout Scripture these specific Scriptures that tell us, hey, men will fail you. But Jesus won't, and Jesus doesn't fail this man and his son. Second point, men will fail you, but Jesus won't. Men will fail you, but Jesus won't. We too, as followers of Christ, like the disciples, will fail people. We won't live up to the expectations all the time. Now, hopefully most of the time we do, but there's going to come a time when we don't. And someone that was counting on us or relying on us, uh, it doesn't come through. And what's supposed to happen doesn't happen. And we fail those individuals. 
but people will also fail us too. And sometimes we can fall into this place where we're putting so much trust in people and we're even putting more trust in people than the Lord. The Bible warns us of this, tells us to trust in the Lord and not in man. If you look at Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5, we get this exhortation in Jeremiah chapter 17. Picking it up in verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land which is not inhabited. That's the description of a man who trusts in man. Not not a really good outcome. But look, he compares in verse 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear. When heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. Basically, sum it up, those that trust in man are going to be greatly disappointed. Those that trust in God will prosper. They'll be blessed. They'll, 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 they'll experience so much more in life if they're putting their trust in the Lord and not in man because man ultimately will fail us. Now I say that, you might be like, wait a minute. So we shouldn't trust each other? I'm not saying we shouldn't trust each other. We can't trust the flesh. We can't trust carnality. The reason that we trust each other, the reason that we believe in each other is because of the God that lives inside each and every one. Love believes all things. I believe in people, specifically the body of Christ, because I believe in the God that lives inside of them. And because that God lives inside of them, I know that they're able to attain a character that's trustworthy. But sometimes we get in this mindset and we put so much trust in people and then when they fail us, it crushes us. And having our trust broken, it really hurts. I'm sure this hurt this man when he came to the disciples and they couldn't perform what he believed they could have. Have you ever been burned by the church? Have you ever been disappointed uh, from by a leader? Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a mentor. Maybe it was just being a, a Christian friend or family member. And sometimes we can allow that break of trust. We can allow that failure to lead us to a place that we stop following Jesus. Now, obviously, you guys are all here. So you're following the Lord. Hopefully. I believe you are. But in all sincerity, sometimes the mistakes of the bride can lead us to stop following the groom. The bride's going to fail us here and there. The groom will never fail us. And one thing I love about this man is though these men, the disciples, failed him, he didn't allow that to keep him from coming to Jesus. Though the men failed him, he still pressed on towards Jesus. He still knelt before Jesus. He still prayed and pleaded to Jesus. He didn't allow the flaws of men to prevent him from drawing near to the Lord. 
Matthew 17, verse 17. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. Wouldn't you love if Jesus said that to you? Super encouraging, right? Oh, faithless and perverse generation, okay? He's rebuking specifically the disciples. The multitude can likely hear this, and we'll, there's a verse that's coming up that kind of helps us support that, but he's really focused on the disciples, and he addresses the issue. The issue is their lack of faith. The reason they couldn't cast out the demon was because of their faith. Their faith was lacking. Now think about this. If you're a disciple at that point, especially if you're Peter, James, or John, how would you not have faith, right? He's just done so many things. He's done so many miracles, so many healings. He's done everything that he's been called to do. He's literally doing supernatural things in front of them and then the transfiguration. And they're still struggling with faith? It's like, really? He's given them every single reason to trust Him, yet they're still struggling with doubt. But we can fall into that too. The Lord, He's done everything for us to trust in Him and believe in Him and the things that He's pulled us out of and the times that He showed up for us for our lives. You probably wouldn't be here if you didn't have trust in the Lord. But if you, if you, if, if, if you look back, there's certain times in your life, if we're honest, that we're doubting, we're questioning, we're not following through with the faith in the Lord that we committed to. Now, this doesn't just affect our relationship with the Lord, it affects those that are around us. What do I mean? As believers of Christ, we're called to be vessels of faith, okay? And these disciples, because of their lack of faith, they're misrepresenting Jesus, They're giving Jesus a bad name right now. This man knows that these are followers of Jesus, but the followers of Jesus ain't looking like Jesus. They're not doing what Jesus did. See, we're called to be vessels of faith, but sometimes we can be vessels of doubt. Do you inspire faith in people or do you inspire doubt in people? The disciples right now, they're urging doubt on. They're inspiring doubt to happen. Luckily, this man had the faith to continue to pursue Jesus. But the point is, as followers of Jesus, we're called to have the faith of Jesus. When we engage in the things that Jesus did, it's got to be attached to the faith that he had. And right now, the disciples aren't living up to that because they still struggle with unbelief. This frustrates the Lord. Look at how he responds. I'll reread it. Not only does he say, oh, faithless and perverse generation, he also says, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I be with you? Jesus knows the time. He knows the hour. He knows when he's going to leave them. And what's he getting at? I'm trying to inspire faith in you. I'm trying to produce faith in you. I've done every single thing I could possibly think to give you the faith that's needed and you're still doubting. I don't have much more time with you. I can only teach you so much more. I can only do so many other things for you to believe in who I am. How long shall I be with you? And then he says, how long must I bear with you? How long must I bear with you? Think about that. 
Consider the frustration of Jesus. Everything that he's done, all the time he's invested into them, every work that he's done in front of them, and they're still struggling with doubt. This can happen to us as well. You ever have maybe a, a child or a friend, even a spouse, whoever, that you've been investing so much time into Literally pouring your life out into theirs, hoping that they would grow, hoping that they would just have a little bit of fruit. And what? Nothing comes? You don't see anything? It's like, man, uh, I love you, but, but, but I don't know how much longer I can bear with you. Identify with the Lord. He's given everything to the disciples, every reason, yet they're still struggling with faith. God brings people into our lives to teach us some similar lessons. I can say for myself, I've had quite a few of these, but one man in particular, he was a former student of Patmos. He ended up leaving early. He quit, but I still talk to him. And I have love for him. And he'll call me all hours of the night in different times. Um, And I invest so much time into him and so much effort and so much energy and everything I know about the word and what? He keeps doing the same things. It's like he's listening to me, but he's not listening to me. He's not doing what I'm telling him to do and I want him to do it not for my sake, but for his. I try to get him the help that he needs in. He takes one step forward and three steps back and it can get so frustrating. Why? Because I have love for him and I can say with Jesus, how long shall I bear with you? But the answer to that is as long as Jesus bore with us. Because what did Jesus do? He loved them to death. It says in John chapter 13, he loved them to the end. He loved the disciples to the end. Despite the doubt, despite the sin, despite the mistakes and the shortcomings, he loved them to the end. He says, how long must I bear with you? But we know later on, he's going to prove how long. I'll bear with you to the point of death. And that's what we're called to do. Why? Because love bears all things. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 tells us. Love bears all things. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is the law of Christ. What? Love. And love is expressed through one of the avenues, bearing with one another. As they're going through stuff. As they're not getting it. As they're hard-headed. How long must I bear with you? To the very end. But one thing I found for me personally, I believe the Lord brings these people into my life, not for their sake, but for mine. Why? So that I might understand a deeper level of love. That I could get a taste of the love that he has for me. That despite my hard-headedness, despite all the years of rejection and not walking with the Lord, and still the shortcomings I have, the Lord still bears with me. He bears long with me. Love suffers long and is kind. The Lord, though he asks this question, he's going to prove that he'll bear with them forever. Matthew chapter, oh sorry. So, we see that the disciples aren't the only ones with a faith issue here. When we look at Mark chapter 9, we see it's not only the disciples that are lacking faith, the Father's lacking faith as well. If you look at Mark chapter 9, verse 22, Mark chapter 9, verse 22, same story. Mark gives us the most detail to this specific story. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 22, and often he was thrown 
he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, this is the father talking to Jesus. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. See, the father, he's struggling with faith too. Lord, I believe. But there's part of me that doubts. There's part of me that's unbelieving. This man, he's being completely honest. It's a picture of of the honest depiction of the human heart and where many of us stand. There's times where we have all this belief and then there's times where we're unbelieving. There's times where we're doubting. Faith, it's a struggle. Faith, it's a battle. Which brings me to the third point. Faith is a battle. Now, faith is also a spiritual gift and there's some people in here right now that may have that gift. Uh, I know some people in this church that have the gift of faith. And they're like, what do you mean? I never struggle with faith. I full-fledged believe the Lord all the time. It's because they have the gift of faith and God's given them uh, an extra measure of faith, if you will. There's a lot more to that. But most people have this battle where they have those seasons of full-fledged faith and that season, those seasons of unbelief. I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. Again, he's being so honest here. He's just being honest with the Lord. Yes, I believe God, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling with doubt. I'm struggling with unbelief. He's not trying to pretend like he has more faith than he has. He's not saying, Lord, I believe you can do anything. No, no, I do believe uh, there's part of me that doubts. This is how the Lord wants us to come to him. He knows when we're lying. He wants us to be honest with him. If you hit a season in your life where you're struggling with faith, say this. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I have a measure of faith, but I need a greater measure of faith, especially when it's something that you've called me to do. I need the faith to walk in what you've asked me to do. But this man, he's not just being honest. He sincerely wants to believe. He wants to believe in the Lord. That's why he's crying out. And he wants to believe in the Lord. Why? Not just for his son's sake. Yes, for his son's sake and his love for his son, but also for his own sake. What is he saying here? He's not just saying, Lord, heal my son. He's saying, change my heart. Give me the faith that I need, not just to believe that you can heal, but the faith to believe that you can save. He's asking the Lord, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. He's asking him to address that lack of faith in his heart. Jesus, if you heal my son, I'll believe you. I'll walk with you. I'll follow you. If I see you do this, then I can believe you can do anything. And sometimes, I'm not saying throw out your fleece. But I am saying when we face those walls and we're going through trials or we're going through those seasons of doubt, be honest with the Lord and ask him, hey, God, can you show up? Can you reveal yourself to me? Now we know he's done enough already, but there's something beautiful about this picture and this man being honest. When we're honest with the Lord, I'm struggling with faith. So often he'll answer that prayer and he'll come, he'll show up somehow, some way, whether it's through the word or through prayer or through other people in the body of Christ. He works in so many different ways and he's not limited by anything. But when we're struggling with that faith, we need to ask the Lord, hey, 
I need you to change my heart. I need you to give me the faith that's needed. This man being completely honest, completely sincere, he doesn't just want Jesus to heal his son. He wants to believe in who Jesus is. In Matthew chapter 17, back there, in verse 18, and Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Jesus has the faith to cast out the demon. What the disciples couldn't do, Jesus could do. And that'll always be the case. What we can't do, the Lord can do. He's the perfect example. He has the faith. He's the way to faith and he's the example of faith. Look at verse 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So Jesus, he demonstrates that all it takes is faith to be able to overcome spiritual warfare or any other obstacle in life, but it takes just that, faith. Without faith, we're not overcoming. With faith, we can overcome. In this case, Jesus, because of his faith, was able to overcome a demon. In our case, faith gives us the ability to overcome the enemy. And anything else life throws at us, which brings me to point four. Faith overcomes the enemy. The faith of the Lord overcame this demon. Faith overcomes the enemy. It's First John chapter 5, verse 4, says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Faith literally gives us the ability to overcome the world, to overcome sin, to overcome specific sin, to overcome demons, to overcome the enemy faith, gives us the ability to overcome any obstacle that might come our way. And that's what he says here. It's faith. Look back at verse 20. I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, he's saying, I'm not asking you to have like the, 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 the faith the size of the universe. I'm saying just the faith of a a mustard seed, which one is one of the smallest seeds. You just need a little bit of faith. It's not about the quantity of our faith. It's about the quality of our faith. That's what he's getting at. It's about a pure faith, a sincere faith that's displayed uh, to him and, and walked out in our lives. And I'll get to that. In a moment, small amount of faith and a big God can accomplish big things. That's the message that he's giving us right here. Not only does he talk about this mustard seed, he says with the faith of a mustard seed, with just this little bit of quality faith, look what can happen. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Now this gets taken out of context so often. Uh, when you look at culture, there was a Jewish phrase when they referred to teachers that were extremely gifted and were able to overcome doctrinal obstacles, like the things that were really difficult to understand. These gifted, skilled teachers that were able to kind of unlock these deep truths, they were referred to as uprooters of mountains. That's what they would give the title of the teachers that had this deep insight and could teach these things that other people couldn't teach. They call them uprooters of mountains because they were overcoming these doctrinal obstacles that other men stumbled with. 
Now, Jesus, he's using this phrase to help understand something else. Not only is he communicating to us um, about demon possession and about faith. He's talking about obstacles as well. With the right faith, just a little bit of it, in the right thing, God we're able not only to overcome doctrinal obstacles, we're able to overcome any obstacles that life throws our way. He's not saying, move the San Bernardino Mountains to LA. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's getting at. Okay, He's speaking in spiritual terms to get a spiritual lesson across and understanding the culture. And there's so much about that. If you want to study that on your own, look up Uprooter of Mountain connected to Rabbi and you'll find some really cool information and what that actually means. But the heart that Jesus is trying to get to us is just that, that faith overcomes. We're able to overcome any obstacle, any trial, any tribulation, any spiritual warfare that we find ourselves in. If we have the faith that he's talking about, we'll be able to overcome those things. And he describes this further in Matthew chapter 17, verse 21. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting are practical ways to establish and walk in the faith that Jesus is talking about. A little mustard seed of faith, a little bit of the right faith, not quantity, quality. Quality faith looks like what? It looks like doing something. And he says prayer and fasting is part of that doing. Why? Point number five, prayer and fasting work. Prayer and fasting work. Okay? Now, I'm not just saying that prayer and fasting work. Yes, they work. We'll talk about that. But prayer and fasting are a type of works. It's something that God's asked us to do. He says, when you pray, when you fast, there's the expectation that we're supposed to be doing it. And what Jesus is highlighting, yes, there's a specific thing that we'll get into, but he's describing the type of faith that he's talking about. He's describing a faith that looks like something. He's describing a faith that works. It's James chapter 2, verse 26. It says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James, he gives us this clear explanation of the type of faith the Lord is looking for. There should be evidence of it. It should look like something. It's not just the intellectual belief. The demons believe intellectually and tremble. That belief doesn't save them. Talking about a faith that looks like something, if we truly believe it's going to be displayed through the way that we live our lives. And one of those ways is by prayer and fasting. When we pray to God, what does that reveal? Well, it reveals a lot of things, but one of the main things is a dependence on God. We know I can't do this on my own. God, I need you to intervene. I need you to show up. I need you to do something because I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't, I can't overcome this thing in my life. I need your help to overcome this thing. When we fast, it's a denial of self. It's trusting the Lord for, to, to provide for us spiritually when we're not nourished physically. And there's a lot to fasting as well. But one of the other things is when we're fasting in context here, specifically um, for another person, it's a sacrifice to God for someone else. And he says these things work. And I've witnessed these things work in so many different ways. They don't always work right away. Sometimes they do. 
but they don't always. Now, when I would pray and fast for my dad, uh, who wasn't saved, I would pray and fast for him all the time. I've mentioned him many times. He's a scientist, very intelligent, and uh, he had his own beliefs, and, and, and they weren't Christian. And every time I would pray and fast for my dad, the Lord, every single time, he would give me this inexpressible peace. And he would get this message across me. However, through, through the word, different ways, that he was going to be fine. That my dad was going to be fine. My dad's going to be okay. It was this reassurance that, hey, I got him. I'm like looking at, him. I don't think you got him. Not by what I see. He's like, I got him. Don't worry about it. But the Lord used prayer and fasting amongst other things to bring my dad to, to know him. My dad, he loves the Lord. He's passionate about it. He goes on mission trips and all these different things. But prayer and fasting, yes, it works. Now let's look back to context. He says the reason that they couldn't cast out the demon was because of their lack of faith. And this lack of faith, if it was expressed through prayer and fasting, they would have been able to cast out the demon. He's not saying if you would have just prayed and fasted right there in that moment, you would have been able to cast out the demon. He says if you had been praying and fasting, you would have been able to be prepared for this encounter and you would have cast out the demon. What's the lesson? So often we find ourselves, yeah, praying and fasting when times get really tough. When we go through a trial or someone's getting ready to pass away or whatever it is, okay, now I'm praying and I'm fasting. Jesus said, no, no, that's something you should have been doing. If you were praying and fasting before, you would have been prepared and ready for the situation. If we wait for the trial and the test to pray and fast, we're already too late. That's what he's getting. This is something you should have been doing. Lord, he calls us to pray. He calls us to fast. He calls us to a faith that that looks like something. Those are our tools to equip us for spiritual warfare or for anything that we find ourselves walking into, any obstacle, any mountain that's presented to us. When we're applying our faith, we'll be ready for it and we'll be able to overcome it. Matthew chapter 17, verse 22 some time goes by, but he says this. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up and they were exceedingly sorrowful. This is interesting. Matthew goes from talking about this faith issue then to be to be reminded by the Holy Spirit of the gospel. Why? I don't know how much time passed between Jesus communicating the gospel, reminding them of it again, and this incident that happened with this demon, but there's an important connection. When the Lord addresses faith, he's got to address the gospel because he reveals to us what our faith ought to be in. We have to have the right kind of faith in the right thing, believing the gospel in its entirety. He's preached the gospel to him many times at this point. But they're still not getting it. They still don't understand it. They, they don't really know how it's all going to go. Now, I don't know how frustrating this must have been for Jesus, but he tells them over and over and over again, this is what's going to happen. And we know they don't get it. Why? Because it says at the end of verse 23, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. 
when they hear what Jesus is going to do. Now, we can understand that, right? They're going to lose the Messiah. They're going to lose Jesus, who's become not only a friend, but like a family member to them. They're they're Lord. They're going to lose them. But they don't understand the magnitude of the gospel in leading to the resurrection so that they might have eternal life. The gospel is necessary, and he needs them to not just believe in who he is, but believe in the entirety of the gospel and what he's going to do. If they understood this, it probably would have said, and they were exceedingly joyful, right? When we understand the gospel, the magnitude of it, what Jesus did for us, there's so much more joy than sorrow. Yeah, it's sad that he had to die, but look at what he's given us. And that death was something that he longed for, he looked forward to for the, um, for, he had joy, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, that he had joy as he was being persecuted, as he was being crucified on that cross. But when we don't understand or we don't have the faith that's addressed here, we get sorrowful. What do I mean? Sometimes Jesus will speak things into our life that we don't understand and we get sorrowful. Man, I didn't get that. Why would you take that person or why would you do that or why would you have me uh, lose this job or lose this car or lose this loved one or whatever it is and the Lord he communicates maybe something to you to give you a hint and we're sorrowful. But when we look at the big picture, when we consider heaven, when we consider what awaits us, I'm convinced that every problem that we've ever faced here on earth, when we get to heaven, we'll look back and be like, man, that wasn't a problem. That wasn't a problem at all. I thought it was a problem, but I didn't get the big picture. I didn't realize what God was doing with that. He was using that for my good and his glory. But on this side of eternity, we don't always understand that. So when God says something or he does something, we're sorrowful. If we have the faith that he's talking about in this text, that sorrow will turn to joy because we recognize everything he says, everything he does is meant for our good and meant for his glory. Ultimately, it's the faith in the gospel that leads us to victory. If we're not believing the gospel and we're not walking in the gospel, that faith that looks like something, we're going to continue to be defeated. The enemy is going to continue to kick us around and knock us around and make us believe that he has control when he doesn't. For those who are in Christ Jesus, the battle that we're called to in on this earth, the spiritual war that we've engaged in, that we've enlisted in, it's already been won. But we have to have the faith to recognize and believe that Jesus actually did win when he died on the cross. If we don't have that faith, if we're not believing that, we'll continue to walk in defeat. It doesn't take a lot. It just takes a mustard seed, a little bit of faith in the right thing, and we can overcome any obstacle that's put before us here on this earth, whether it's sin, whether it's trials, whether it's tribulations, whether it's spiritual warfare, whether it's loss, whatever it may be. If we have the faith that the Lord's talking about, we can overcome these things. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this lesson that you taught the disciples, God. 
faith. You address faith so often, specifically faith in who you are and faith in the gospel. Those that were walking with you had times of doubt, Lord, and those who walk with you today still have times or seasons of doubt. God, I pray that you would show up for us, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us, God, that you would give us the faith that endures, the faith that overcomes, Lord, that we would believe who you are, what you've done, and that we can have victory in your name and in your name alone. Amen.